Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Good morning, church. I am Bethany Lothar, and I am here to kick us off and welcome us this morning. Um, I am so glad that you guys are here. Um, If you are brand new in the backs of your chairs, there's a welcome sheet. Um, We would love to hear um, who you are and get a chance to get to know you, so go ahead and either fill that out or there's a QR code, and you can um, fill that out digitally. Um, But let's start and um, give God today, um, because it is his. Let's join us in prayer. Father God, you are good, and you are holy, and you are just. You are perfect in every way, Lord. And I ask that as we come here today, this Sunday morning, to worship you, Lord, that you would help us to come exactly as we are, that we would lay down the stresses and the excitements and the busyness of our lives and just be present this morning, Lord. Um, You are good all the time. Um, Help be with us in every moment of this morning and of our weeks as we go forward. This is your day. Show us your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, If I have not met you or if you're visiting, uh, my name is Bruce Drugsma. I'm the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church worship team. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for leading us in prayer this morning. I do think that, um, that God is moving, and I think God is moving in, in special ways, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do in the year to come. And for those that have been following, we've been going through Israel's playlist, looking at the book of Psalms all summer long. For those of you that are ready to move on to something else, give it a couple more weeks and we will move on to something else. But for some of you, you might be enjoying where we've been sitting, and that's good. I did get a text um, yesterday. Hang on, sorry. Uh, I did get a text yesterday from Paul Kling. For those that don't know who Paul is, he was the senior pastor here uh, several years ago. And he texted me, uh, we had him come in and speak a couple, several weeks ago, earlier this summer, I guess. And he texted me uh, this, or yesterday that uh, he saw that through the email update that I was preaching on Psalm 139 this morning. And he texted me and he said, hey, great preachers think alike. He is filling in at another church and preaching on Psalm 139 this morning, which I think is kind of a cool God thing, the way God lined that up. Also, maybe if you don't like what I say, you can go and listen to his. Um, And that that might, or Merv, uh, my wife, looked at me this morning. We were sitting in in our living room doing our quiet time, and she handed me the devotional book that she's been going through, and the devotional for this morning was Psalm 139. You guys are sharp. Psalm 139. There too. Maybe you don't like what I say. Maybe you don't like what Paul says. Uh, go read that. If they all say the same thing and you still don't like it, maybe do some introspection um, because maybe God is trying to say something to you. But I do think God is moving. And, and I think that we can, if we keep our eyes open, we can see that evidence all around and look for those ways where God is maybe lining those messages up. But uh, I digress. We all forget Uh, We all have this ability to forget things. We are all uh, people that sometimes forget things. And it's embarrassing to admit this, but I forget things sometimes. And we all have had those moments where we realize what we have forgotten. And sometimes that moment is we have a person text us from a restaurant, hey, I got us a table. And you're 30 minutes away and entirely forgot that you were supposed to have lunch with that person. 
And, and that sinking feeling, that, that moment you have, this happened to me I, just a few weeks ago. A friend of mine is a pastor in St. Michael. We agreed to meet for lunch in Buffalo, and he texted me and said, hey, I'll grab us a table. And I was sitting in Watertown and knew I wouldn't get there in time because we all forget. And that, that moment when you feel that, it, it speaks of a lack of value. And that person goes, oh, I remembered, but you, you didn't. And, and I hate that feeling. But we all forget. We all have that, and it feels shameful, and it happens to me more often than I'd like to admit. But at other times, I forget, and I think we are grateful. But because we forgot, it's hard to remember what we forgot. Like, that's the funny thing about forgetting. You can't really study it. Like, like raise your hand and list the things you've forgotten. Go ahead. It doesn't work. And so it's this really hard thing. And so we think sometimes our memory is better than it actually is because we don't remember the things we don't remember. And if you get bogged down in philosophical thought, don't think on that too much. But we can't remember. And so sometimes, though, that forgetting, that forgetfulness is a benefit. Uh, I've shared numerous times that I like listening to podcasts. I was listening to one called The Right to Be Forgotten. And they were talking about this idea of forgetting and being forgotten more specifically, because oftentimes we see forgetfulness as a negative thing. Sometimes it's a positive thing. How many of us have done something embarrassing in third or fourth grade, and for a while it's very present with us, and then it slowly fades into our memory until that classmate brings it up at our 10-year class reunion? And then we don't like that person and their memory. Because we want to forget those things. Or how many of you, and I'm speaking to those my age and up, did something stupid in high school and are really glad Instagram, Facebook, TikTok weren't around? Right? Yeah, I see some hands. Excellent. And so that's kind of what this was getting at, this idea of this right to be forgotten. Because if I, at you know, 40 years of age, did something stupid in high school while the internet was just kind of starting up, uh, if you wanted to go and dig into my past to that level of detail, you'd have to go to the Brainerd Daily Dispatch newspaper and look through their archives. Let's say I did something big enough to get in the newspaper even, something stupid, right? Like some high school students do and college students do. You'd have to go there and dig into it and maybe, and again, this is a term that some of you younger than me might not even know, you'd have to look at some microfiche files, to find the history. And there's some of you that if I went to your hometown and started digging through the microfiche files, you might start going, hey, Bruce, how about if we don't do that? But it would take some effort. Whereas now, with everything online, a simple Google search will sometimes bring up stuff that years ago would have slowly faded into the past. And so these newspapers and news uh, media sources are starting to wrestle with this idea of when does somebody have the right to be forgotten? When is the fact that you can Google search somebody's name and find out something stupid they did in high school not worth keeping? Because all of a sudden that person who did something dumb and paid the penalty for it from our society standpoint but now is struggling to get a job, when should that be deleted? When do we take that off the internet? And this is a thing that, like, 
is, is, is a thing, is something that we should be aware of. And, and I bring all of this up to talk about our memory, about both the fact that there are things that we remember and bring shame, and there are things that we forget that we don't know about. And now we're talking about, well, how does that play out in a modern internet age? And I, I bring all of that up for a couple of reasons. One, because we're gonna talk a little bit about God's memory. We're gonna talk about God's memory this morning, God's knowledge. And I think sometimes when we think about God's power and knowledge and presence and all of these theological ideas, what we do is we compare God, what we think we know about God to what we know to be true about ourselves. And so the idea of God having limitless knowledge uh, is kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. One, because sometimes we overvalue our memory. We don't remember the things we don't remember. And so therefore we think our memory is infallible when only God's memory truly is. And on the other hand, we have these things that we find out, we have those moments where we realize we have forgotten something important and it's tempting to think that maybe God does too. And so I I bring it up to say, hey, have some caution here whenever we're talking about who God is to not compare ourselves too closely, to to not compare what we think about God to be true with what we know about ourselves. That's, that's number one. But second of all, uh, when we look at the psalm, Psalm 139 this morning, several commentators commented on this as I was preparing for this message. We like to forget the last few verses of this psalm. This is going to be, I think, a pretty familiar psalm to some of you. And I bring up our memory because I think we don't like the end of it. And so we might read it and we'll dwell on the first you know, three quarters of it. And then we get to the last part and we go, I don't know what to do with that. So I'm just going to let that part fade in my memory. And let me challenge you this morning not to do that. Stick through this Psalm all the way to the end. Don't let it fade into the recesses of your mind and into oblivion. Stay engaged because I think how it ends is important. And I think it's a spot we need to be. And the psalmist, who is David, put it together as a total package deal for a reason. And it's hard for us when we read it, I think it'll be kind of challenging sometimes to go, why? Because it's going to feel entirely different than the rest of the psalm. And it's easy to see it on the end as entirely different and go, you know what, I'm just not going to wrestle with that. I'm going to take this part I like and just kind of leave that and let that kind of drift off. And so this morning, I want to give you a sentence a sentence that you can keep in your mind that will help you follow with me and I hope follow through this psalm. And the sentence is four words. I'm I'm playing up the memory thing a lot here. Hopefully you can remember four words, right? Know where power resides. Know where power resides. That is going to be the four words, the sentence that is going to walk us through this passage. And I hope at the end help you remember what I think David is trying to get us to walk away with. Know where power resides. And so let's use that phrase. And the first word is no. And so we're going to look at the first six verses in a second. But no. And we're going to start with this fancy word called omniscience, which is a theological word, omni, all, and then knowledge, science, Latin, omniscience, all-knowing. God is all-knowing. The Bible teaches us that God has limitless knowledge. And that's something that is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we are fallible human beings who do not have limitless knowledge. You might look at me today, realize I'm a little pinker than usual. I forgot to wear sunscreen yesterday. I was out in the sun all day. I do not have limitless knowledge. I forgot sunscreen. 
We all have fallibility. God does not. God is all-knowing. He has omniscience. And it's this idea of limitless knowledge that I think we struggle to get our heads around, but our psalmist is going to help us. Psalm 139, for the director of music of David, a psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And there's a lot in this passage, and I can't necessarily um, uh, go through it all because there's so much. And I would encourage you to take some time to think about what this passage is saying and maybe think about the spot where God might be speaking to you about how well he knows you and cares for you. But God knows us in ways that we do not even know ourselves. I'm going to read another verse from Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a, a penny? And this is Jesus talking. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care, and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. And think about that, and I looked into that word, the very hairs on your head are numbered. That is a significant word, it's not saying counted, it's saying numbered. And there's a difference between that that idea, it's the idea that God knows us so intimately that he doesn't know that Bruce has 111,471 hairs on his head, or whatever I have, I made the number up. But he would know exactly which one fell out. And that baffles our mind. Now, admittedly, that's an easier task for some people than it is for others to number the very hairs on their heads. But that idea, we struggle to get our head around. What does it mean that our head, the hairs on our heads are numbered? What it means is that God knows us so intimately well, better than we even know ourselves, which I think we can get around that idea. Anybody who's been in a relationship with uh, like a, a spouse or a really good friend or maybe a brother or sister that you're super close with knows that there are times that person looks at you and says, you know, you say you're thinking about something. They're like, seriously, I know what you're going to do because they can even know us in some ways better than we know ourselves and how much more God with his limitless knowledge knows us better than we know ourselves. And so what does God do with this? Is God just some big data computer that happens to know the very numbers on the hairs on my head and it's just data? What does God do with this? Well, look at our passage. You search me, you know me, you perceive me, you discern me, you are familiar with me, you know what I'm going to say before I say it. And then it says that with that, what does he do? He hems us in. He walks around us. He surrounds us. He walks with us. He cares with us. The whole point of this passage is that God, with his limitless knowledge, is not some giant computer in the sky that knows data. God uses that data to care for us. And and back to Matthew, what Jesus was saying, if God knows if a sparrow falls to the ground and you are worth more than many sparrows, how much more does God care for you? The idea here is that God with his limitless knowledge is not some computer in the sky, but a caring, compassionate God who knows us intimately and cares for us with that knowledge intimately. So what is our takeaway? If God knows us, we need not hide. 
Oftentimes, I mean, we're going to talk about this again as we move forward, but we, we tend to hide. We tend to think that we can keep things from God. You know, that if I do this thing and I don't tell anybody, then, then I can keep it to myself. And God knows us intimately, and, and he knows all the things we do, even the things we think we do in secret and in hiding, but he cares in that moment. He cares. God loves us. God knows us. So that was our first word, know. The second word is where, know where. The phrase that fills this next section as we read it is the word where. And we see in it a glimpse of God's omni, all presence, location, all presence. God is everywhere. God is all present. Which is, again, something that we can't get our heads around because as finite human beings, we can't be in multiple places at the same time. There are times that I've wished that was true. Like that moment when my friend called me because he was sitting at a restaurant in Buffalo and I was in Watertown. If I could have magically split myself in two and sent one of them to Buffalo, that'd be great. Maybe yesterday, while I'm standing at a mountain bike race in Austin without sunscreen, I could have sent one of me back for more sunscreen. I can't do that, but God can. And that's part of that limitless knowledge. For God to have limitless knowledge requires God to be present everywhere. God has to be present everywhere, including where we are. And so let's continue in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so this passage speaks to two separate views on this idea of omnipresence. The first is a view of comfort. And Luke, our youth director, talked about this last week. This idea that you can feel entirely alone, even in a crowded room. You can feel entirely alone, and to know that God is still present with you can be a comforting thing. How many of us in the middle of the night have taken solace from words like this? If I hide in the depths, you are there. If I go to the far side of the sea, you are there. God is all present, and that should be a source of comfort to us. In those times when we are feeling alone, feeling scared, feeling cast aside to the other side of the world, to know that God is not limited to being present in our location. That's David's challenge here to the Israelites. He is not only present in the place of Israel. There was kind of that thought at the time that Israel was a sacred place and everything else was other. And David is saying, no, God is everywhere. We should take comfort from that. But he also takes the contrary if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Back to that idea that we think sometimes that we can hide. We think sometimes that we can hide from God, that what we do in secret will stay there. Well, if God is all-knowing and all-present, we can't. It is impossible. And so we try and, and hide things in the dark. And I could point to the story of Jonah in the Old Testament as a great example. Here, Jonah literally goes and hides in the depths of the ocean, in the belly of a whale, not by choice, but that's where he ends up hiding. And it's there that he goes, God, you're still here. I cannot hide from you. 
the presence of God. And there are times where that presence of God feels overwhelming when we feel God's presence and we know in, in the conviction of sin that what we have done is tried to hide something from God. And we can feel that guilt and that shame of knowing that what we have just done is not really as secret as we would like it to be. You know, as much as we talk about the right to forget and talking about how that influences the next generation and influences our view of the internet and news, it really hasn't changed anything for God. We are not more easily searchable to God now because of the internet. We always have been. And that can be a source of guilt and shame, and that's not my goal this morning. My goal is to hear what David is saying, which is we need to bring that stuff into the light. Because when we bring those things that bring shame into the light, we find out that oftentimes we're not the only one who struggles with it, and that's where healing can happen. Right? How many of us, as, as a kid, you know, as a child, we did something we shouldn't do and we broke something? And so we try and shove it away in a dark corner thinking that will make it better. Well, it doesn't, right? You're driving in your car and you hear that ticking sound. If I just turn the radio up a little louder, the ticking sound will go away and my car will be fine. That's not how that works. Some of you need to have a conversation with your spouse right now. I understand that. That's not how it works. We can't just hide it away and make it better, but we think we can do that sometimes. And, and, and God is saying, no, you need to bring it out into the light. If it's your car, take it to your mechanic. This is the sound it's making. Tell me what's going on. Help me find healing for my car. Well, how much more, if we're willing to do that for our car, do we need to do that for ourselves? We have this thing that constantly sucks us in and brings us down, this, this sin, this temptation, this darkness that we keep going into, thinking we can hide from God, and we need to bring it out into the light and say, God, this is a problem for me. We all have those areas. And we have, and, and maybe you saw in your email or uh, have heard through through. Uh, communication stuff, and if you haven't, keep your eyes open for it, but we have some opportunities to push into that coming. For you guys in the room, we're going to be doing a purity event in a couple of weeks because the idea of finding holiness and purity in the face of all the other temptations, especially online right now, is a big deal in our culture. And it's one of those things that I think as guys, we like to think that we're the only one who struggles and we're not. And the best way to find healing in that conversation is by bringing it out into the light. So if that's something that you struggle with as a guy, I would encourage you to come check this out. Or if you know somebody who struggles with this, or if you just want to know how to help somebody who struggles with this, going to the event isn't saying that you have a problem. It's going to go, I want to find healing for myself or somebody else. I would encourage you to consider that. For you women, we have the women's retreat coming which is a little bit of a different way of going about that. But if there is something in your life that you need some assistance with, don't try and go alone. Go with these women, build some relationships, find that community that can come alongside you and bring it into the light. If you're struggling, go to somebody else. For our kids and our youth, turn to Luke, turn to Bethany, find that person, come to youth group, come to Awana, get involved, because in that community we can find that light and that healing that we all need no matter what it is that we struggle with. So do not let shame keep in the darkness what God already knows. Bring it into the light and find healing. And I would remind you the song we sang this morning, we are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. We can find that healing. So know where, and the third word is power. 
God is powerful. God is omnipotent. Omni, again, all potent, potency, power. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God isn't just all-knowing and all-present, but unable to do anything about it. God is powerful. God is all-powerful. Last weekend, we went up to Brainerd to visit my family. I grew up in the Brainerd area. Anybody who grew up in the Brainerd area knows that there is a weekend in August that happens every year called NHRA Nationals. It happens at the Brainerd International Raceway. It is a drags, the national tour for the drag racing event. So these are the best of the best. These are the people that set the national records, top fuel dragsters. And so just so you know, where my parents live is about 10 miles away from Brainerd International Raceway, and we still knew the races were going on. Because, uh, you know, every couple of minutes, all of a sudden we'd hear, and we could hear it to the point that at some point we'd stop talking Okay, and then we could move on. Uh, not because it overpowered our voice, but it was loud enough that it interrupted. We're 10 miles away. And so it's, it's present on my mind as we talk about power, and so I want to share some facts, some NHRA National Drag Racing facts. And these are the cars we are talking about. One top fuel dragster puts out over 11,000 horsepower. And that is more than the first four rows at a NASCAR race. Under full throttle, a dragster is consuming 11 gallons of fuel per second, which is similar in fuel consumption to a fully loaded 747 at takeoff. But the dragster is producing more energy. Think about that the next time you're in an airplane in Minneapolis and you're taking off from the air you know, from on the runway and you feel it set you back in the seat, you know, that's called like feeling the G's, feeling the G-forces. A drag, a top fuel drag racer will pull five G's, five times gravitational force on their body for the entire run. One last thing. The Brainerd International Raceway is a circuit. It's a loop. You can go all the way around and come back. For drag racing, they use one side of it, just the quarter mile strip, Right? Which means you could take, you know, pick your, pick your favorite sports car. We'll take a Corvette for my example. You could take a Corvette and go all the way around the track, working your way up to top speed, so that by the time you come around to the drag strip, you cross the line going 200 miles an hour. The moment you cross the line, the light turns green and a dragster is parked in the other lane. Which means you cross the line and he hits the gas, or she. The current record holder is female. I will throw that out there. You cross the line going 200 miles an hour in a fully loaded car, going a quarter mile, that dragster will easily beat you from a standstill to the far finish line. No competition. Blow you out of the water. That's an incredible amount of power, but that is man-made power. And as impressive as that is to be 11 miles away, 10 miles away, and to hear the rumble of those engines to know that God's power makes this look like nothing. And any of us who have lived through a tornado or a hurricane or a severe storm know that God's power makes this look tiny because God is all powerful. And so we can stand in a storm and feel the power of God and not be afraid. And we'll continue in our psalm. Why? For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Notice the incredible focus of our God. All of this knowledge, all of this presence, all of this power, and David is reminding us that God uses that to be with us. That power that God has, that power to create the universe with a word. God uses that power in our lives. Ed, in his prayer time, talked about that. The ability that God has to break chains. That's God's power. And we can forget sometimes that power of God that we have at our disposal. And he says, you know me. My frame was not hidden when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together. One other thing, this just shows the intimacy, the knowledge that God has and how creative and powerful he is in his creation. I'm a fan of uh, StrengthsFinder. I know there's some people in this room that are a bigger fan of StrengthsFinder than me, but I'm a fan of StrengthsFinder. If you don't know what it is, it's a personality assessment. That you take this personality assessment and they list 34 strengths and they generally give you your top five. In order, they give you a specific, these are your top five strengths and this is the order they go in. Mathematically speaking, you take those same top five the odds of somebody else in the world having the same top five as you in the same order is one in 33 million. And that's not counting all 34. Nor is that taking into account other things like introvert versus extrovert or spiritual giftings or the fact that I had those gifts and I grew up in Brainerd and somebody else might have them and they grew up in, you know, London or they grew up in New Delhi or whatever. God is incredibly creative and caring with that power. He created all of us. We all have value because we are creatures, creatures of God. God created us with this intimate knowledge of us and with this incredible creativity. And we need to remind ourselves that not only did he do it for us, he did it for every other human being on earth. God cares passionately for all of us, for every single person. And God, in all of his power, not only made us uniquely, but his thoughts dwell on us and every other human being on earth. And that idea that every other person is a beloved creature of our God should spur us on to love and care for each other. Every other person was created with the same level of intimacy and attention to detail. That as we look around and we see that person that we snub, that we mistreat, that we abuse, that we ignore, these are God's creatures. That should spur us on and we should see that all throughout scripture. And I would encourage you to read through scripture and note all the time that God's word challenges us to care for one another as it does in Philippians 4. To care for widows and orphans from James 1.27, to welcome the stranger, Matthew 25, to love your neighbor as yourself, Luke 10. God's power should spur us to care for those around us and to care for them deeply. 
Not because they deserve it any more than we deserve it, but because they are creatures of God. And they deserve it for that reason. The power of God is not just a thing to marvel at. It should compel us to care for those around us. Because God has cared just as deeply for you and I. Which is our great segue into our last word, know where power resides. Verses 19 through 24. And like I said before, people tend to skip this part because it doesn't feel good. It feels icky, if I'm honest. After we've taken all this time to dwell on God's power, on God's presence, on God's knowledge, the the passage feels to make an abrupt shift and come over here, and it feels vengeful and spiteful, and we don't know what to do with that. But be mindful to hear these passages not as just a penalty for the sins listed. God is just, and if I were to, I wish, I wish, and maybe I need to talk to some better theologians than myself, that there is a word for all just, omni-justice or something. Because God is all just, and we like to think of all just as something deserving for those out there, but remember that all applies to all, including ourselves. His knowledge, his presence, his power should cause us, when we dwell on it, to remember how abhorrent sin is. And that's what David does. After all this time dwelling on God, he turns around and he sees a broken, fallen world, and he's appalled. And we should be as well. And he reacts with that abhorrence. If only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Everlasting. So why do I use the word resides? Is it just because there wasn't an omni word for justice? No, I use the word resides because this should be our reminder that if God is holy and we are not and we are abhorred with evil, we need to remember that so is God and true power resides with him, not with us. And it is God's job to move in justice, not ours, because we are broken, fallible human beings. David is angry at evil and good. He is appalled and so should we. And we should desire justice. As Amos 5.24 states, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. We should desire true and godly justice, but we also must remember that we are as deserving of God's justice. That it is only through his grace, through faith, that we are, are not objects of God's wrath. The focus theologically in this passage is on Israel, not on the world outside. David is looking at his people and he's seeing this sin and responding with anger. The first look should be internal, not external. The first look should be at our own heart, not out there. And if we skip this last section, we tend to miss the last verse. 
see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is where he ends because power does not reside with me. It resides with God. Justice does not reside with me. It resides with God. And we should seek justice because we care about God's people. All of the people God created, we should care and seek justice and seek to break the systems that are unjust. But we need to let God move and not try and do it in our own power. And as uh, Willem van Gemmeren, who is a theologian uh, in the Old Testament, as he wrote, these psalms help us to pray through our anger, frustrations, and spite to a submission to God's will. Only then will the godly man or woman be able to pray for the execration of evil and the full establishment of God's kingdom. We start with ourselves and we acknowledge our sin. And then we seek to lead others. As our other worship song this morning said, there is an army rising up to break every chain. We respond to God's grace in our lives by helping other people break their chains of bondage to sin and pain. So know where power resides. Remember who God is. And as we encounter the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-just God, we should be shocked at sin and evil, but we should start with the internal focus on ourselves. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you know us so intimately. God, I thank you that you are always with us. God, I thank you that you have the power to break sin and death. God, help us to remember that resides with you. God, help us to respond to your goodness and your mercy and your compassion by seeking to bring that to people. God, to bring that to people who need you. We love you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, before we go off, I have a few announcements for you guys today. Um, I should have something come up here at the top. Um, coming up the, in a couple weeks, we have our Wednesday family night starting, which is also the beginning of Awana. Um, and so if you have a kiddo that's three years old through fifth grade and if you have not registered yet, um, up here has our QR code. You can also text AWANA to the church number um, or find us in the back and we can help you do that and get registered. Um, we are also looking for a couple more leaders. Um, as I shared, I did a video last week when I wasn't here, so if I, here I am in person. Um, but come find me, introduce yourself. But we are looking for a few more leaders as well to be a part, specifically in that kind of fourth and fifth grade level. Um, sometimes I feel like when we go into children's ministry, we feel like we have to know the Bible inside and out. We have to be these deep, deep um, understanding, but really we're not teaching our children how to live perfect lives. We're teaching our children about a perfect God, and we're walking alongside them imperfectly. And so as you come and be a part of that, God always provides the details. We are with you to help support you, um, but we would love to have a few more leaders come in and just show up um, for our kids and to love on them well. So thank you also for those who have already done so. We really appreciate you. Um, also next, or on September 10th, we have our fall kickoff. 
This is our kickoff for the year. This um, brings everybody together in fellowship and community, getting a chance to learn those from each other. Um, those that are brand new, this is a perfect place to come because you can meet families that are within our church body, um, bring your neighbors, and then you can also hear about a lot of the things that are happening um, at these Wednesday family nights, Sunday schools, um, adult groups, and things like that. But we are looking for more volunteers, so we're looking for people who can come and maybe help set up, um, who can tear stuff down at the end, um, who can grill. Um, again, no special skills required. We'll teach you everything that you need, but we need bodies. Um, come and be the hands and feet of Jesus and come serve with us um, at the fall kickoff on September 10th. To sign up, you can go into the back hello section in the back corner, and there's a sign-up sheet on the paper um, on the table that you can just write your name down, and we'll um, get you guys connected. And then lastly, um, we have our missions team has a new missions board out in the foyer area. So just go check it out. They put some time and energy into it. It looks awesome. Um, and on there are all the different missionaries that we support here at our church. Um, we serve locally and then throughout the globe. And so a fun thing to do even as a family is maybe even go out there and pick one missionary a week grab a little booklet, read about them at home, get to know them, and pray for them. Um, and it's a big part of what we do of helping people find and follow Jesus. Um, thank you. So as we end this morning, um, wherever you're at, I would encourage you to get plugged in um, to find that community and to find that hope and that healing. And I want to end with this. Our benediction this morning is from 1 John 1.9. And I think it's a great reminder for us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I would, I would challenge us to go out and find that healing that we need. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.